Amen. Good morning, friends. It's good to worship with you this morning. Today, is, as uh, Tracy said, uh, we celebrate as the church Jesus' ascension into the heavens. The church has um, celebrated Jesus' ascension traditionally 40 days after Easter, which was technically this past Thursday, but we're observing uh, ascension today. Jesus' ascension is a significant moment in the Christian story as it marks the transition from Jesus' earthly ministry to his heavenly one. The ascension is an event in the Christian story that we know is important, but we often have trouble articulating just why it's important or what believing and following an ascended Lord means. Tracy did a wonderful job with our children getting the conversation started. I invite us to um, continue that conversation as we look at the story of ascension. So, friends, I invite you to listen with open hearts and minds as we encounter God's word together from the very beginning of the Acts of the Apostles. In the first book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus did and taught from the beginning until the day when he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions to the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself alive to them by many convincing proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. While staying with them, he ordered them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait there for the promise of the Father. This, he said, is what you have heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, is this the time when you will restore the kingdom to Israel? He replied, it is not for you to know the times or periods that the Father has set by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. When he had said this, as they were watching, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. While he was going, and they were gazing up toward heaven, suddenly two men in white robes stood by them. They said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking up toward heaven? This Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. As we approach Memorial Day tomorrow, we mark the unofficial start of summer with schools dismissing for the fall, pools opening, and of course vacations and the good old-fashioned family road trip. And a rite of passage for every kid on a road trip, from now and from way back when to eternity, is to grow impatient, frustrated, and chant out that timeless, age-old phrase, Are we there yet? As a parent, I know how difficult it is to, be, to describe the idea of time to a young child. Whenever my family gets in the car, the kids have a hard time grasping if we'll be just taking a short drive to a store in town or driving all the way to Michigan to see my family. 
And so with this uncertainty grows impatience, which grows frustration, which emboldens that age-old saying you and I likely both said ourselves in our youth, are we there yet? Our reading this morning of Jesus' ascension to heaven in Acts is an are we there yet story. The book of Acts was written by the gospel writer Luke as a sequel to his gospel to continue the story of Jesus through his disciples and the work of the early church. It begins appropriately with the story of Jesus' ascension into heaven, which transitions Jesus' ministry from earth to heaven. But as Jesus assembles his followers to say goodbye and to give final instructions, he seems confounded by their question, Lord, is this the time? Is this the time when you'll restore the kingdom of Israel? This really is a biblical version of, are we there yet? Let's unpack this for a moment. See, the people of Israel for generations expected a Messiah to come to deliver them, to restore the kingdom of Israel back to the golden age of King David. Such a Messiah would be a warrior who would defeat Rome by force. Jesus' whole ministry surprises everyone in that he would not be this kind of warrior Messiah at all. Rather, he would be the very embodiment of God's love and grace. And yet, after his death and resurrection, the question resurfaces again from his very apostles, the people that knew him and his ministry best. Lord, is this the time? Are we there yet? Like many of you, I sat in shock, anger, tears, upon learning of the horrific events in Uvalde, Texas. A tragedy that has become far too common in the world in which we live. Our nation, our world has been grieving with the community in Uvalde this week as we collectively echo the psalmist's lament, another are we there yet question. How long, O Lord? After the week we've had, friends, we can hardly blame these followers for asking, Lord, is this the time? Is this the time when you will make all things new? Is this the time when evil will finally be eliminated? Is this the time when we will finally speak up and step out to make our schools, our community, our world a safer place for all your children to live and thrive? Friends, this is the age-old question of faith. Are we there yet? Is this the time? And this is the very question Jesus' followers ask him before he ascends to the heavens. So how does Jesus respond? Not with scolding or shaming his followers, but instead by saying we can't comprehend God's time. I'll admit, friends, there are plenty of times, including very much so this past week, when I wish Jesus gave us a different answer here. But thankfully, this isn't all Jesus says. He gives a promise, a promise of presence, of God's presence, saying that you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you to be my witnesses here and to the very ends of the earth. 
rather than explain the timeline of God's reign of peace and justice on earth. Jesus provides us a promise that God will be with us no matter what. With this promise, Jesus is lifted to the heavens. But I think it's what happens next that is so helpful for us today as followers of a risen and ascended Lord. You know, this past week, I had the joy of attending a meeting of the Shenandoah Presbytery, our first full meeting in person in over two years. It was wonderful to see colleagues and to share in ministry together. Now, the meeting was held at Massanutten Church near Harrisonburg, the church where Marie's parents attend and where I preached for the pastor nominating committee uh, just about six years ago to the day before I was extended a call to serve here as your pastor. Now, the most notable feature of Massanutten Sanctuary, if you haven't been there before, is a large wooden Celtic cross that has a dove carved out of the center of it. And this large cross hangs from the ceiling directly over the pulpit, which would make me terrified if I preached there every week. It is both undeniably beautiful and eye-catching. Throughout the meeting, I found myself looking up constantly at this cross, which I'm reluctant to admit in such a public address, but to be honest, friends, this meant I wasn't fully paying attention to every part of the meeting. Now, while I was gazing upward at this remarkable cross, I didn't fully realize, I didn't fully grasp the beauty of what took place in front of me during the meeting. We blessed our commissioners to go to represent us at our denomination's General Assembly next month. We sung out in praise in worship together for the first time in two years as a presbytery. We celebrated a new worshiping community's formation, a new church forming within our presbytery. To name just a few things that happened. But to put this another way, friends, while I was preoccupied by looking up, God was present and at work right there in front of me. A similar phenomenon happens to the apostles in our reading. While Jesus is still rising into the heavens and a cloud takes him out of sight, the apostles are understandably amazed. You can imagine them doing what we'd all be doing, looking up in awe. But just then, two men in white robes appear, and they scold them for doing this. Did you catch that? They show up and they say, men of Galilee, why do you stand up looking toward heaven? This Jesus who was taken from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go to heaven. And we've seen these mysterious robe men before in Luke's story. They appear in the gospel on Easter morning as the women approach the tomb, and they ask a similarly puzzling question, why do you look for the living among the dead? I love these two robe men as, as someone who spends a lot of time studying Luke and Acts. They almost remind me of the two grumpy old men from the Muppets, Statler and Wardle, uh, Waldorf, sorry, who sit in the balcony constantly criticizing everything that's going on. They say things like, well, that was a medium sketch. It wasn't rare, and it certainly wasn't well done. These mysterious robe men seem to be having a little bit of fun with the apostles. 
Jesus has just told them to go and be his witnesses. And now they're sitting there, standing there, looking up in awe, trying to keep their eyes on Jesus as they marvel this moment. They want to bask in its glory. They want to live in the past when Christ was with them. Last year, I saw a film upon the recommendation of the Jones family by the title, Don't Look Up, about a fictional comet heading to Earth, and more importantly, how the world responds to such news. And fair warning, it is rated R for a reason. Now, the satirical film depicts a people who, by and large, could not be bothered by such unsettling news because they were okay with the status quo. So much so that, in fact, the fictional president in the film begins a media campaign to deny the impending doom of the comet altogether with the catchy phrase, don't look up. In the face of global catastrophe, the world and its leaders essentially say, don't look up, just bury your head in the sand. Don't pay attention to what's going on. Trust me, friends, in my frustration, I thought about this movie a lot this week, about how its social commentary rings true for so many issues in our world, the events in Uvalde and countless others before it very much included. Now, while their advice is the same as the ill-fated films, albeit with a much different intention, I think Statler and Waldorf's provide a similar critique to the apostles in our reading. It's as if they're saying, Jesus has ascended, he will come back. In the meantime, he's called you to keep doing his work. So what are you waiting for? If you're trying to find Jesus, you're not going to find him looking heavenward. You'll find him by looking outward. Don't look up, look out. You'll find him in the same places you found him on earth befriending the stranger, the lonely, healing the sick, advocating for the oppressed, challenging systems of injustice in our world. You won't find Jesus by looking heavenward, but by looking outward. You'll find him within and among you as you serve as his witnesses. Don't just look up and pray to God to help rid our nation of such horrible evil and violence, but look out and find ways to partner with God present and at work in our midst to eradicate this once and for all in our world. Friends, believing in a risen and ascended Lord means trusting in the promise of God's presence to be with us no matter what. In all of the are we there yet? moments of the human experience. Friends, we know that our risen Lord is with the community in Uvalde in their deepest pain and mourning. And our Lord is with us as we struggle and wrestle with how to make sense of such senselessness and how we can respond faithfully. To find the risen Lord among us, we cannot look up. We must look out to join Christ in helping our neighbors in need and working to make our world a safer, more loving place for all of God's children. Friends, may we go out with boldness and courage to do just that, remembering the promise of Jesus' ascension that God is with us no matter what. May it be so, friends. Amen.